Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com I like to listen. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 149th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. On today's episode, we have a special guest joining us, listener Summer White, and she is going to share with us the ghost light that is seen on Bragg Light Road. And on today's episode, we're going to talk a bit about ghost lights, including the Paulding light. We're really glad to have you with us, Summer. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you live and what you do. Oh, I live in Watertown, New York with my husband. He's stationed up here in the Army at Fort Drum. But we're from Texas, around where the Bragg Light is. But uh, I work at a vet clinic here as a kennel attendant. And I just take care of all the dogs that come in for boarding and surgery pets. And so I get to be around a lot of dogs all the time. A lot of dogs and cats. Oh, that's (laughs) cool. Yeah, thank your husband for his service as well. Yes. Well, I thought I had seen that you were up north somewhere. And I'm like, well, she suggested this location in Texas. So I was kind of interested to find out how there was a connection there. Obviously, you had lived there. Yep, we're about 40, 45 minutes to an hour away, depending on which back roads you want to take. But he got stationed up here in February of 2015. So we've been up here for a while. He was he was deployed for six months of last year, but we've been up here for quite a while. A little ready to go back home. <laughs> yeah, so you'll eventually go back to Texas then? Yes, yes, ma'am, we sure will. When he, uh, his time is up, we'll go back home and he would like to go to the police academy and I want to do something in museum work. I'm getting a degree in anthropology right now. I'm about halfway through, but I would like to do something in museum work or in a library. Oh, that's very cool. We'd love to have you check out our website, historygoesbump.com. Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And we did get a couple of emails. The first one is from Amy Zollers. Hi, ladies. We still love your show. Often listening in the car after the rock climbing gym. My 10-year-old son is homeschooled, and I think in October we'll binge on History Goes Bump and map some fabulous locations. We map everything. Books we read, earthquakes, Bigfoot sightings, etc. But the main reason for emailing again was to give Denise a thumbs up on the Twilight reference. And she has here, Denise, a picture of her Team Jacob mug. Oh, that is fantastic. Yeah. So thank you to Amy for that. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Amy. 
And then Rachel wrote us about our last podcast, which featured the legends of Beaver County. She said, hi, guys, I had to do a double take when I saw the title of the latest episode pop up in my feed. I was born in Rochester, Pennsylvania in Beaver County and lived there until 1988 when my dad got a job transferred to Ohio. However, most of my family lives there. So even though I've been in Ohio a very long time, I still have strong ties to the area. This is an area that no one has ever heard of. When I moved to Ohio, I just told people that I was from Pittsburgh. Even if I met someone from Pennsylvania, they wouldn't know any of the towns. So we just tell people we're from Beaver County. You can imagine my surprise and delight to see it being featured in a podcast. That's very, very (laughs) cool. My family lives all over Beaver County. And I remember seeing the Vickery House almost on a daily basis when I was a kid. Every time we went by it, I would wonder about the history of the house and if it would ever be restored. Most of my childhood, the house was empty while they were raising funds to make it into a museum. My great uncle lived just a few streets away in Freedom. He was the Freedom High School music director. The home was beautiful even when it needed love. Old Economy Village still exists today as a tourist attraction. All the local elementary school children have a field trip there at some point. Think of it as a smaller version of Colonial Williamsburg. I loved going to the village. During October, they would have haunted old economy, and I got to enjoy that with school friends as well. This episode holds a special place in my heart because of all the fond childhood memories I have connected to those locations. Beaver County and its towns are all very old, and I know there are more ghost stories than you could ever have touched upon or even know. I hope you do visit someday because it's picturesque small towns right on the Ohio and Beaver Rivers that have seen a lot of ups and downs and survived them all. So I thought that was really cool. Philip Childers, our zombie friend, he and uh, Monica were from Beaver County. They lived in Beaver County at one time. Oh, that's so cool. So I was like, well, even though it's not really well known. And of course, most of the towns there are very small. So Okay, and then we also heard in the Spooktacular crew from Teresa Rowland. In regards to the Shanghai Tunnels podcast, Seattle didn't exactly have any floods. Seattle was originally built at sea level. The city, not realizing the effects of the low and high tides, found themselves with a bit of a problem when it came to flushing their toilets during high tides. I'm starting to remember the story Mm -hmm. now, even as I read. The issue, of course, being was that the high tides would flood the drainage systems, which you can imagine would cause some serious issues in which those flushing could often find themselves being shot upwards because of the water flow going the wrong way. (laughs) Envision being skyrocketed upwards, I guess from the commode. (laughs) That, That was my own ad lib. As for why Seattle was rebuilt, well, that was because of a great fire in June of 1889. Fire was started when an assistant at Victor Claremont's woodworking shop was boiling glue. Somehow the glue boiled over onto the floor, which was covered in wood chips and turpentine. It was further aided along when the assistant attempted to put it out with water. That only caused the turpentine to thin out and spread the fire faster. The fire quickly grew out of control and soon spread to the local liquor store, which had just gotten stocked with liquor the day before. From there, the fire spread to two nearby saloons. (laughs) That's a lot of alcohol and turpentine to to make that fire go right in a small area. I mean, it's just like a tinderbox. And as she says, as you can imagine, all that liquor helped fuel the fire even more, sending it down to the supply store, which just happened to have gunpowder and ammunition. That sent the fire shooting to the rest of downtown Seattle. Now add in the fact that at this time in history, most of the buildings were built of wood, and there was a big problem with the fire hydrants as they were too small and there was not enough water pressure. With the fire chief out of town, ironically in San Francisco attending a firefighting conference, the mayor took over and ordered buildings to be blown up in an attempt to create a fire break. Unfortunately, the buildings chosen cut fire and the whole fire break idea backfired. All in all, 25 city blocks had burned down and there was no reported human deaths. Much of today's Seattle is now the second in some places third story of rebuilding after the fire. Most of the reconstruction was done in a year, except for the streets, which took about 20 years to be done. 
And what Teresa reminds me of, I had mentioned this in the Spooktacular crew, but for people who are fans of Darkness Radio that's hosted by Dave Schrader, but last week, which would have been September, I think, 7th, 8th, and 9th of 2016, what he did is nine hours of basically our show, which was like road tripping, telling the haunted history of different cities. So it was really interesting. I haven't gotten to listen to Thursday and Fridays, but I listened to Wednesdays and they had a guy on there from Seattle. And when I heard the story of him telling about the Seattle underground, I was like, oh, now I remember. And it is haunted down there. Too bad we didn't know when we went. Well, we have lots of family there, so maybe we're due for another trip back someday. Definitely. And the other point that he made is a lot of the store owners there didn't want to wait as long as it was going to take for them to shore up and like build up because they decided to put everything up a story and they didn't want to wait that long. So they just started building. Well, the government went, go ahead, build your houses however you want, but the street and the sidewalks are us. So where do you think they put the street and the sidewalks? Up on that next level. That's why they had to climb up the stairs to go across the street. Now, okay. I started to remember that because yes. I'm like, I remember bits and pieces. It was a long time ago. Right. And so eventually that's why everything ended up getting built up there because the store owners were like, well, this doesn't make any sense for us to be down here because the sidewalk and streets are up there. Also on that show, they had a girl on there from Colorado and she was talking about Metro College, Metro College, right? Metropolitan State College. Yeah, it's a state college. Yep. And I went, oh, that's where Denise went. So, and we're very familiar with it because it's right in downtown Denver. She was talking about the different parts of it that are haunted. And one of the areas where they have some of the classrooms and stuff used to be a brewery that still has its stack there. Oh, Tivoli? That's exact. I went, she's got to be talking about the Tivoli. Now, I didn't realize they must have made it part of the campus because when you were going there, it wasn't part of the campus, was no, it? No, it, it had a theater in different shops. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we'd go across, get coffees or whatever. And There was like, I think, a sports bar over there. Yeah. So I told people in the Spooktacular crew that when I heard her describing it before she said what it was, I'm like, well, it's got to be the Tivoli. But I didn't realize it was part of the college campus. So something changed. But I said, I remember there was a theater there because we went on our first date there. Yes, we did. So I let everybody know that we went to see the movie Maverick at that place. So it's haunted, Denise. Did you know that? No. And now look at us. So it was (laughs) destiny, I guess, from the from date number one. You got it. You and I had our first date in a haunted location. We didn't even know it. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Want to welcome to the Spectacular crew, Julie. Hey, Julie. Raju. Hey, Raju. Krista with two S's. Hey, Krista with two S's. Anne with an E. Hey, Anne with an E. Maddie. Hi, Maddie. That's Bob Sherfield's daughter. Oh, very, very cool. I don't know whether we should have sympathy for her or think that's really cool. A little bit of both. Okay. And Jim. Hey, Jim. All right, ladies, let's go check out some of these ghost lights. We know about your little addiction. Not just a history ghost bump. You're into that true crime, too. What, are you trying to plot the perfect murder? Or are you just interested in the criminally insane mind? Whatever it may be, we like true crime around here, too. Only our true crime is haunted. We are up to 30 haunted true crime bonus casts. And there are 14 exclusive History Goes Bump bonus casts as well. Just waiting for you at $5 a month. Want to know what you're missing? How about the Black Dahlia? The Black Donnellys, the Corpsewood Manor murders, the Manson murders, Starvation Heights, the beheading of Anne Boleyn, and that horrendous serial killer, Amelia Dyer. Not to mention Denise's series on animal ghosts. Skip the coffee this month, donate to us, and get all of that. Plus, stick around and get future episodes as well. 
You'll also be helping to bring everybody more episodes each month. We're getting real close. You can support the show via PayPal or Patreon. It's your choice. You get all the same benefits. For more information, check out patreon.com forward slash history goes bump or historygoesbump.com forward slash support dash the dash show. History is full of oddities, curiosities, mysteries, and the truly bizarre. Welcome to This Moment in Oddity. The Moment in Oddity was suggested by Bob Sherfield. The Torijan people of Indonesia live in the mountains of Sulawesi, and they conduct a very unique festival every three years called the Menani Festival. The name means the Ceremony of Cleaning Corpses. The ritual has been carried on for over a century and entails exhuming dead relatives, washing their mostly mummified bodies, and dressing them in fine new clothing. Family photographs are then taken. Death is treated very respectfully and many members of the tribe save money their entire lives for their funerals. Funerals are elaborate and can last a week. It's very important to the villagers for them to die in the village and family members will carry a loved one back if they die elsewhere. After death, a villager's body is wrapped in cloth to help prevent decay. Coffins are repaired when the bodies are exhumed to help prevent decay as well. We're not sure if there's a limit on how many times a body is exhumed, but there was one villager exhumed in the latest ceremony that had been dead 30 years. Exhuming and redressing a dead relative is meant to be a sign of respect in Indonesia, but for us, it certainly is odd. Scared yet? This Day in History On this day, September 16th in 1928, the Okeechobee hurricane devastates the area around Lake Okeechobee in Florida. The storm formed near Africa and intensified as it traveled west. It was the first recorded hurricane to reach Category 5 status on the Saffir-Simpson hurricane scale in the Atlantic Basin. Landfall was made first in Puerto Rico, and it is the only recorded hurricane to strike Puerto Rico at Category 5 strength. 1,000 people were killed there. The storm then hit West Palm Beach and is one of the 10 most intense hurricanes ever recorded to make landfall in the United States. Winds hit 125 miles per hour. Buildings splintered as if made from matchsticks. The final and most vicious blow was saved for the community around Lake Okeechobee. This is inland and not many expected it to cause more deaths here than in Puerto Rico. The lake crested and the humble muck dike broke releasing a tidal wave of water. At the same time, winds were blowing homes off their foundations. Nearly 2,000 people here perished. The Army Corps of Engineers would build a new dike, leaving the flow of water in the hands of man rather than nature, and the Everglades were forever changed. You're listening to 
There are desolate roads in America that inspire sweaty palms, goosebumps, and fuel the imagination with images straight out of a horror flick. These are roads where no sane person would want to have a breakdown in a car occur. Some of those roads have inspired tales of ghost lights. These are lights that seem to move of their own accord, always staying just out of reach. Legends have spawned about headless ghosts swinging lanterns as they search for their heads. Some people believe that these lights could be attributed to UFO activity. The Bragg Light in Texas and the Pauline Light in Michigan are two of these ghost lights. The roads where they are seen are walled by thick forests. Both have haunting tales that claim that a ghost or possibly something worse are responsible for the lights. And both have had skeptics claim that it is nothing more than swamp gas or light reflecting from something else. Are these natural phenomena or is there something supernatural going on here? Join us and our special guest, listener Summer White, as we explore the history and haunting of these ghost lights. Bragg, Texas is located on Farm Road 1293, 10 miles west of Kuntz in northwestern Hardin County. The Colorado and Santa Fe Railway started running through that area in 1901, and Bragg became a major stop along that railway, and a small community grew up around it. John Henry Kirby came to Bragg with the railway and decided that because of the rich forested area, building a sawmill here would be quite profitable. That sawmill was completed in 1901. The success was short-lived when the sawmill burned down in 1903. It was not rebuilt. A post office was built along with a hotel and train depot. And there's an interesting story that Summer's going to share with us about that hotel. The post office closed in 1914. What kept Bragg thriving was the oil boom going on in the town next to it named Saratoga. And sometimes the ghost light that is seen on this road is called the Saratoga light for that reason. J.F. Cotton was exploring in the area that is now Saratoga, and he discovered a spring there in the 1850s. A settlement was established, and it was called New Sour Lake. An enterprising man named P.S. Watts thought he could use the spring to make money, and he built a hotel there and promoted the medicinal qualities of the spring. He changed the name of the town to Saratoga, which he took from Saratoga Springs, New York. Cotton realized there was oil in the ground and spent several years in the 1860s drilling for the oil until he ran out of money to buy more machinery. The Saratoga Post Office was established in 1884. Large-scale drilling started again in 1901, and the railway was built to help transport lumber and oil. The town got serious about plotting out a formed plan in 1903, and the population grew. The Saratoga trunk line was abandoned in 1834, and this helped turn Bragg into a ghost town, and today it is thought of as a ghost town. You suggested Bragg Light Road, which is a location we had never heard of before. This one goes by several different names, is that right? Yes. I've always heard it called the Bragg Light Ghost Road, but it's also known as the Big Thicket Ghost Light, the Light of Saratoga, which is a little tiny town that the road runs from. But it's known four or five different names, just variations of the same thing, basically. So it's kind of whoever you're talking to, that's what they're going to call it. Right, yeah. It depends on who you ask, what answer you're going to get or what name. <laughs> now, what's interesting about this is it's called a road, but it didn't start off as a road. No, it did not. It started off as a little train station junction. The Santa Fe Railway or Railroad ran through to Beaumont from Saratoga, and it was hauling lumber, oil, people, cattle, just whatever they needed down around Beaumont and Galveston, down on the Gulf. 
it started off as just a tiny little station just to house all the railway workers. And then it got its name for the road later on because in 1934, the tracks were taken up. The railway was no longer in use. So they took up the tracks and then just people in the community started using it as just a little backwoods road just to get from Saratoga to the little community of Bragg. It's just a small agricultural community right now. So what are the stories about it that have caused people to be a little bit cautious about it? Well, there is a few different ones. There's about three different stories on to why it's supposedly haunted or why people see why people see the, the light. Um, the most popular one that I saw that came up in a, a few articles and the one that I've actually heard my parents tell me before is uh, that a man was there was a something going on with the train. It wasn't too clear, but the train was having some issues, and a man got out. I, I don't know if it was a conductor or an engineer, um, but he got out and was going to fix something on the tracks, and he was decapitated. So they say that that's him looking through, going around with a lantern, you know, searching for his head in the afterlife. Uh, that's that's the most popular story I've heard, but there's several different ones. Another one was that a couple was on the on a honeymoon at the hotel, the Bragg Hotel, which was built at Bragg Station to for the workers of the railway. And the bride, mysteriously, she disappeared. And the husband went out to look for the wife. The light is said to be the husband who still is searching for his wife's killer because the wife was found dead, actually. Well, as we know, when it comes to true crime, it was probably him. Right, yes. <laughs> that <laughs> that was probably be, not the yeah. most perfect honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, that no. seems to be how it goes anymore, which is really sad. Right, it's like, oh, well, you have a nice husband, run for the hills. <laughs> it's usually the most unsuspecting ones. Well, based on those stories, what people are seeing, is is it just like a, a light that's down at the end of the road that's moving around? Is it multiple lights? Um, some people saw like a white ball with bluish edges around it. Some people saw a dim glow that was like pale green in color and about the size of a basketball. Some people saw a small yellow light that was around the size of a pumpkin, um, but it is, it's just, it's a, it's a light and people, when driving down the road, it is said to have, they'll see it appear and then it'll rush towards the car or they'll get out and start walking and it'll rush towards them and then rush right back and then mm. come back again. Or in the car, they have had it go on top of the car. I read some accounts by some people that went down the road and they said that it was around 2.30 in the morning, so it was, you know, pitch black. And the, the road, if anybody looks up any pictures, it's heavily wooded. I mean, it's in the big thicket area, uh, so it's it's named that just because there's so many trees there. It's heavily wooded area, so it's pitch black there. And they said that the moon was not out, but it's almost as if somebody had a floodlight on top of their truck. And it was just lighting up the whole area around them. It's almost you know, whoever you want to ask, I guess, for the name. Everybody has experienced something different, um, different colors, different sizes, you know, how it acts. And some people have said that it doesn't seem scary. It appears to be like playful, bouncing up and down or going side to side. It appears differently than just you know, one orb. Well, that was something I was going to ask you is when it comes flying at these cars, if it was meant to try to hurt people, but you say it's mostly just kind of playing around, fluttering around. 
I did read something that was kind of eerie. Uh, it was I actually had a little note on it. Um, it was the South Texas Paranormal Society. Their names were Aaron and Sabrina, and this was back in 2004. So it's a little while back. They were on the last fourth mile of the road, and the road is eight miles long. And they stopped the truck, and they each asked each other, you know, do you see what I'm seeing? And they both felt as if the road was stretching forward and just stretching and just stretching. It looked like it was never ending. And Sabrina, the wife of the couple, um, she felt as if the truck was moving forward while the road was stretching on and on. And then Aaron, the husband, felt as if the road, he felt the road stretching forward, and then he felt as if the truck was moving backward. And then they both experienced motion sickness at the same time. And that was really the only eerie thing I read about it. But that did kind of stick out to me because, you know, could it be a time warp or could it be a vortex there that maybe they experienced from that? Because it is kind of strange that they both experienced that motion sickness at the same time. And they both seemed to see the road stretching forth, but each other felt the truck was moving in opposite directions. Wow, that's really, really kind of freaky. Well, Denise, you've experienced vertigo before. That's what this sounds like. Yes, I mean, I've had vertigo. Motion sickness is kind of the same because I've had both, but vertigo, you definitely feel like you're spinning, like you're on tilt. And like you said, Summer, what makes it more interesting is that this was experienced by more than one person. So it's not just a single hallucination if they're both feeling it. And to have that kind of movement that it's making them feel ill. How weird. Mm -hmm. It does make you wonder if that's if it is some kind of vortex or something. It's not just some because if it's a ghost that's walking around with his lantern, let's say. It doesn't seem like it would cause the road to stretch or make people feel ill. Right. Yeah. I mean, that was that stuck out to me so much just because, like you said, it, it wasn't just one person. They were both sitting in the truck and they both experienced the same thing, but slightly different viewpoints as he felt the truck was moving backward and she felt that the truck was moving forward. So that, yeah, that really struck out at me a lot. Well, in looking at the pictures of this road during the day, there is no way I'd want to be driving down that at night because obviously <laughs> you're not going to have any street lights. And like you said, it is just lined with these big, thick trees. So just for safety, alone I wouldn't want to go down this road just and I'm the type of person I'd get about halfway down and my car would die it's like what are you gonna mm -hmm. do I'm not getting out of the car right. like the start it, of every scary it, movie yeah and it, it looks about we grew up in that area and I grew up going down those types of roads you know on a full wheeler late at night and mm. it's I mean, this road particularly kind of scares me just because of its history, but I guess looking at the road, it's no big deal to me, but I can see how it would be scary. I also read that there's plant, they're called, they're carnivorous plants, and they're called bladder warts, and they grow Ooh. alongside the ditches, and they feed on small aquatic animals, so... <laughs> Frogs. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. I had never heard of that, ever. <laughs> And I'm looking at the entrance to the ghost road. Apparently, this is called a scenic drive. Yes, very scenic. <laughs> and yes, you might see a ghost light and then also <laughs> look down on your right and you'll see small carnivorous plants. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I'm like, wow, great scenic drive. Let's take the kids. Take the kids <laughs> yeah. to watch little Come frogs on, get devoured up. by vegetation. <laughs> Now, it goes for about eight miles, so it has a starting point. Where does it end? Does it, does it end in a town or...? It does. It starts at Saratoga and then it ends at the Bragg. It's called. It's just a town called Bragg, but whenever I say it, I usually just say Bragg Junction or Bragg Station just because that's what it was originally known as. 
Bragg got its name from a Confederate general. His name was Braxton Bragg. He was born in North Carolina. He then went to West Point and he became a army officer in artillery. And he fought in the Mexican-American War. But his most famous, what he was most decorated for, was the Battle of Buena Vista. And then in 1856, he did resign from the army uh, to retire as a sugar plantation. And he went to Louisiana and bought a home there or a plantation there, I should say. But around 1874, he did move back to Texas because he did get a position as the chief engineer of the Santa Fe Railroad, but it was called the Gulf, Colorado, and Santa Fe Railroad. And then later on in his career, he did serve as the uh, chief railroad inspector for this whole state of Texas, which I can only imagine how many miles and miles of railway that would be to inspect that would be but a lot. he he died later in galveston due to paralysis of the brain but he was 59 years old when he died and that's how the the town got its name and then later how the the road got its name wow paralysis of the brain makes you yeah, like I, a stroke i guess i don't know when i was reading about how he died um they said that he was walking along in Galveston on the street with a friend, and then he just collapsed and was unconscious, and within 15 minutes, he was dead. Wow. That almost sounds like an aneurysm, yeah. maybe. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, because it was so sudden. It, they never said anything about, you know, cardiac or anything, mm-hmm. so I would assume it wouldn't be anything of a heart attack. But for that to be so sudden, I assumed it would be aneurysm from what they said, paralysis of the brain. Obviously, Bragg Station is no longer being used. And I know it had a small community that had grown up around it when it was being used. Is that community still there? Because I've heard Bragg referred to as a ghost town. Yes, yeah, it's referred to as a ghost town, but it is. it does still have a little bit of a community there. Um, it's mostly just small agricultural farming communities. It's probably about how I grew up i grew up in a town where there's like 500 people <laughs> but i i think Bra- Bragg is a little bit smaller than that but there is still a few homes and little small community there but the post office that was there it shut down in 1914 so i don't know if it would really be considered a town if there's no post office so. yeah i think that was as we've researched and done history it seems like the minute there's a post office it's called a town <laughs> so right. if it doesn't have that i would think yeah it's not a town without one Right. (laughs) So we have to ask, you've been out to the road. Did you ever see this ghost light? No, I did not, which kind of disappointed, but also kind of (laughs) glad. I wasn't. I was with my parents, and it was a couple years ago. It was spooky, not going to lie, when it is dark, even though I grew up on roads like that, just knowing what people have seen and things. And now that I know reading that people have experienced I'm like, oh, goodness. Thank goodness I didn't experience that. (laughs) Because being younger, I probably would have freaked out. (laughs) Nobody I know personally has ever went down there and seen any. I don't know that many people who have actually went down there. But the few that I know, they they didn't see anything. Okay, yeah. So nobody you know has seen it. Well, I was just looking at pictures of it. And even though some look like your your typical orbs that you you see that could be maybe dust or bugs or something, some of them do not look like that at all. It looks very much like a moon or something down at the edge of the road. And so that those ones are pretty pretty freaky to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some people have tried to debunk it, saying that it could be car lights or car headlights, because when you turn, it's either when you come out of Saratoga or when you're coming out of Bragg, I can't remember, but it's like you come onto the road in a in the bend of another road. So if you're coming from the opposite direction, I would assume you could see headlights, but 
you're not going to just see one big fog light like all the pictures show. You know, I would assume that you would see either two light cuz when you see a car there's going to it's not just two headlights, you know, you've got more lights than that. So, they've tried to debunk it, but I don't really think that it can be because it's pretty clear that it's just one orb unless somebody's just walking by themselves each night with a big old flashlight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the only thing is it would have to be somebody who's like, oh, I'm going to have fun. But even if it was somebody down there with a flashlight, you kind of can get a reflection off of people and see them a little bit. So, Right, because the tracks were taken up in 1934. So there was an account or a few following right afterwards. And I don't think older style cars would have the same capability of light as newer model cars. So I don't think that people down the road during that time, they want to say that it's headlights. I don't think headlights back then could shine as brightly as they could now. So I think that kind of just throws that out of the water that it could be headlights. Well, and of course, there's those people who put out that popular term. Oh, it's just swamp gas. <laughs> yes, I have read that so much. It's just swamp gas, or there's a natural gas pipeline running somewhere across the road, and they've said that it could be a leak or anything like that. But I, my, my father works on pipelines, and I have, I've went around with him, and you know, I've seen enough pipelines, and I've never seen anything close to an orb floating over them because it's a gas leak. <laughs> now, does the light always happen at the same bend in the road or the same part of the ghost road? No, I actually saw where it's happened halfway down the road and then the South Texas Paranormal Society, the people I mentioned earlier, they you know saw it at the last fourth mile of the road. I didn't read any really from people getting immediately on the road but it wasn't all just at the same place because people were parked and then they would see the light rush towards them i don't know if it starts at the same part of the road because it kind of comes towards the vehicles and then goes behind them or it starts behind them and then comes towards the back of the vehicle i've read a lot of different accounts where they're in the middle of the road and they see it come rushing towards them or they're at the end of the road and it's come rushing behind them which kind of goes back to the headlight thing because if it's coming from behind you and it's supposedly a car you would probably hear it on a gravel road because if you're going more than five miles an hour on a gravel road it gets kind of loud so yeah, it's it's kind of spread out across the road from what I've read. Okay, and when you were just talking, that kind of debunks the whole headlight thing anyway, because otherwise they'd have to come forward and then back up really quick and then go forward and then come from behind. And like you said, right. just car tires on any kind of pavement, you can hear like the engine, especially somewhere out here where it's kind of desolate and there's not a lot of noise. But on a gravel road, you would definitely be hearing a car. Right. You're not going to be sitting at the end of the road and then just see a light. It's That's just not possible. Plus, we're talking about a lot of vehicles that must have only one headlight. Right. I mean, I, the only thing I think of is a motorcycle, which mm -hmm. that you would definitely hear. And who would want to be going super fast on a motorcycle on a dirt road? Especially <laughs> at night, you'd have to be crazy. Right. Plus, we haven't mentioned... I would think most cars, motorcycles would be kicking up dust, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you'd be seeing a lot of, which would even maybe interfere with the light and you're not getting that. Right. And plus, if I were to see the light and then see a bunch of dust clouds around it, I might get a little extra freaked out. <laughs> it's funny that you say you would get freaked out because that's kind of like, like us, we go on all these ghost tours and everything and we're like, 
huh, I wonder, you know, we hear the stories and everything, but if anything ever actually happened, like a full-bodied apparition, we'd probably both wet our pants. <laughs> I know. I love reading about the paranormal and ghosts and everything, but yeah, if I actually ever saw one, or if I actually had, I know you've talked about some people have felt tapping on their knees and things. Oh, goodness. I, I would leave my skin behind. I'd be running so quick. <laughs> <laughs> one question I had, and you may not know this, did we only get reports after cars started driving on there or were there people who would be on the railway and they would maybe see something, maybe a conductor who would see the light or is it just something that was a more a phenomenon that we're experiencing more in our closer to our current time? I read that there was one account and there was not a lot of information on it. It just said that there was one account in 1906, I believe, they saw the light, which was, I found that the railway was laid in 1902 or in 1904. I got both of those dates, so I'm not real sure which one it is, but I did read that there was a sighting of the light in 1906, but it was only one as opposed to the several that has happened here Mm -hmm. in the later decades. Yeah, I know it picked up steam I think starting in the 40s, but I had wondered about that. And I don't know if there's a record of a guy who actually did get decapitated that was a conductor. Makes you wonder when did that happen and does it correlate with that light being seen then in 1906? Yeah, and I I looked that up and I couldn't find any. I mean, I typed in Santa Fe Railway decapitation <laughs> um, and I, I couldn't find anything. But that's not to say that, I mean, I know back then paperwork was probably not the first thing on their minds. No. <laughs> but yeah, I couldn't find anything even on the couple at the Bragg Hotel. I did forget to mention that there was a third explanation for what causes the light, and it was that a foreman, rather than paying his crew, he would just kill them off. This was when the railway was being laid. He would just kill them off and keep all the money, and he would bury them very swiftly after killing them, and the light is their spirits just wandering the road that was i just saw that one once so i don't really think that that was really a popular theory it's a fun it's definitely story one, yes one <laughs> worth mentioning <laughs> you know what i find fascinating is we've heard stories like this before where you have a conductor who's gotten decapitated while he's checking out the train or it always makes me wonder i'm assuming if you're getting out and checking the train it's not moving so i don't know how somebody is getting decapitated but anytime we have these decapitations, it seems to go hand in hand with ghost lights. There was a, I can't remember one that we did a little while back where we had a Native American chief that was decapitated and people would see a ghost light bouncing around that was supposed to be him. Makes you wonder yeah, what I, is that? Right. Yeah. I guess it, I mean, it does, like you said, it goes hand in hand just because I guess maybe my thought would just be their head just bouncing around looking for their body. <laughs> yeah. I think it was, <laughs> that's, have a legend? that's just my speculation. It's not not a bad speculation. I think we had a legend in Colorado. It was a green orb and it was the head of a, a chief, I think, that was, and it would bounce around as if it was looking for its body. Definitely something I saw in Scooby-Doo. Yes. Because <laughs> Scooby-Doo is the authority on paranormal activity. <laughs> now, Summers mentioned that we had a train conductor or brakeman who was decapitated checking over the train. And then she told the tale about that couple. A couple of other ideas about where the ghost light might be coming from is there's some folklore that claims a Spanish treasure was buried here and somehow it's giving off light. Sure wish we could find that. 
And then there's others that claim it's a residual fire from a time when the Confederates camped there or possibly a ghost fire from when the Union tried to burn out the Confederates that were camped there. It would be a different glow, though, that I think like a, a circle of light. So those don't really make a lot of sense. Right. And the pictures and the things we've heard about the ghost light don't really coincide with the fire. Now, there's this other light, and I'd heard about this one. I'd never heard of the Bragg light before until Summer had told us about it. I'd heard of the Paulding light, and this one has become a little bit more famous because it made it onto the TV show Fact or Faked on the Sci-Fi Network. Now, the Paulding light does not go back as far as the Bragg light. Sightings of it began in the 1960s. And it's named for the nearby town of Paulding in Michigan, and that was named for John Paulding, who was a militiaman during the Revolutionary War. And he has a really cool kind of history that would probably be neat for everybody to hear. He was captured during the war and held at Sugar House Prison in New York City. He escaped by jumping from a window and swiping a Hessian coat that he used as a disguise. He received the first military decoration awarded in the United States, the Fidelity Medallion. The first recorded sighting of the ghost light was in 1966. A group of teenagers had been out near the meadow when they noticed a bright orb of light in the distance, at the end of the road. It startled them and acted so unusually that they reported it to the local sheriff. Now you have to think this is pretty startling because more than likely they were out making out because that's this is a popular area for that. So for you to tell the cops, yeah, we were kind of hanging out where you really don't want us to, but here's what we saw. It must have been pretty convincing to them that it was something. There are claims that the Paulding light appears nearly every night. The story behind this ghost light mirrors Bragg Light's railroad brakeman story, same decapitation, same search with the lantern for the head. So is this just an urban legend that is spread? Like we were talking about the crybaby bridges and the women walking along the creeks. All seems like it's one story that might have been real and it's just carried across to wherever. You see a ghost light, it must be a decapitated guy looking for his head. You see a woman on the road Well, she crashed either in her carriage or her car. The other piece of lore that I heard about this that is far more frightening is that there's a claim that this is the Grim Reaper walking and looking for possibly souls to take or something of that nature. Possibly a little bit more of the teenagers feeding into that. I would think they would come up with something like that more than a, a train brakeman or something. Exactly. Now, this has been caught on video, and if you Google Paulding Light, you will see it on video, and it is a pretty incredible. You see this light kind of at the top of the hill, blinking here and there. Well, Sci-Fi Network decided that they were going to go see, is it fact, faked? And for anybody who'd seen that show when it was on, they would try different methods to either prove, debunk, different types of phenomenon. And they would try all different kinds of things. And when it came to the Paulding light, they tried using headlights, they were flying a light above, and they claimed to have picked up an EVP. So they said that they believed it was unexplained. But the Michigan Technological University, some of their engineering students decided that they were going to go out and do some more investigation themselves. So they made the trip out to Robbins Pond Road. They did find that the light was a real phenomenon, but they think they proved it was just reflecting headlights from nearby Route 45. They documented cars driving by and even found the first report dated back to when the road was rerouted. So if you think this is when reports first started, Route 45 was just now cresting over the hill, so these are headlights reflecting. So people would say, well, there's different colored lights, though. Just like with the Bragg light, different colors. And they said, well, that's probably a cop pulling somebody over. So you're seeing the red and the blue reflecting. So who knows? But they really did sit down and record it on that end. When a car would go by, they'd say, okay, this car went by at this time. 
then they'd head back the other way and see when they recorded seeing the light and they would match up. So it seems that this has been debunked and that there is not a supernatural cause to it. But the Forest Service supports people coming out there to visit, which is kind of unusual because you'd think that they'd want to keep people out of that area, especially at night. But they even put up a sign indicating where the best spot for viewing the light is reported to be. So it seems that this mystery has been solved, but nobody's been able to solve the Bragg light one. And this is not one that shows up regularly. So it's easier to say the Paulding light probably is headlights because you see it almost every night. Well, cars are going to be driving by every night. Bragg light, that one is a little bit stranger. So we wonder if this is just an urban legend that's been borrowed from somewhere like the Bragg light road. Is there something supernatural behind the ghost light on Bragg road? Are there ghosts wandering this dirt road? That is for you to decide. Summer, thank you so much for sharing that with us. It was something we'd never heard of, so it was neat to hear about it. Yes, well, thanks absolutely. for having me on the show, you guys. Oh. I really enjoyed it, being able to share something in the state of Texas with y'all. I love the podcast. I am obsessed with it. You guys do such an amazing job with it. Oh, well, thank you so much, and we look forward to having you on again, because I'm sure you'll find something else you'd love to research for us. All right, well, you have a fabulous rest of your night, Summer, and thanks again so much. Yes, thank you guys, and y'all have a good night too. Okay, All right, thank you. Bye bye. All right, bye bye. On our next episode, we're going to be going to New Mexico to Cimarron. This was suggested to us by listener Richard Cutshall, and he actually is going to join us and share some of his experiences at the St. James Hotel. This is a really fun location, especially for you listeners who are into the Wild West. There's a lot of key figures from that. A lot of the infamous characters from that time period stayed at this hotel. There was all kinds of shootouts here. Lots of people died. And this is a pretty haunted location. And based on some of the experiences that Richard has had just personally and some of the stories that he was told by employees there, I'm thinking there might be a little something going on here. So we're looking forward to bringing that to you guys. Yes, we are. We have some reviews to share over at iTunes. First one, Abby71, five stars, great combo of history and spooky. I have waited until I got through most of the archive. I started listening from the oldest to the newest to write a review, and I urge people to give this podcast a chance. The hosts even admit that the sound quality at the beginning was not what they strived for. As I've listened, I've become greatly impressed with the report of the hosts as well as the tightly knit community that has grown around this podcast. The research is thorough, and the open-minded skeptical point of view also lends credence to the stories. In addition, I've been introduced to other great podcasts that I didn't know about because of great researchers and guest hosts. Give this podcast a bit of time and you won't be disappointed. Well, thank you so much, Abby. And we love suggesting podcasts. I mean, obviously, I listen to a ton of them. So when I find great ones, I always tell people about them. Got another one for you guys if you're into the true crime. Insight. Very good. Charlie and Allie are over there. It's another podcast headed by ladies. Oh, very cool. So we like that. And five stars from Big Yogi. Very fun and informative. These ladies present a very fun podcast presenting history and an interesting take on hauntings around the world. They take the time to do a lot of research and their topics, although they can be very gasoline gruesome and sometimes scary, it's mitigated by the wonderful lighthearted humor the ladies present. They keep me company while driving. I'm a truck driver and their cute goofy humor keeps me chuckling. Keep it up, ladies. Thank you for keeping me company. Hey, we got another truck driver there. No kidding. That I mean, I know it's hard, hard work, but that would be kind of fun to be a truck truck driver for me for a time just to go and see the country because there's so many neat places to see. That's true. You get to see a lot. We want to thank you all for joining us for this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye bye. 
This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producers, Kathleen Pring and Jennifer Moeller. Thanks. Fan of the show? Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast catcher. We would greatly appreciate your review at iTunes as well to help the show grow. Thank you.